there needs to be clear guidelines from a government as far as how a business can and can operate. Without clear guidelines, that's when you start to see the scam artists and the bad actors. And, and that's anywhere. I mean, any yeah. industry where there's a lot of money flying around, you'll see con artists and thieves. And I mean, it's in the betting industry. Hey, this is Jesse here, and you're about to hear my chat with Jason from Gamble.io, which is Gaming 3.0, the new era of gaming. This one ran a little longer than most episodes, as Jason had a lot of unique perspective to share. Amongst other things, we talk about his 20-plus years of experience working in the betting industry across a number of roles and locations, how he sees blockchain technology solving many of the problems that exist in today's regulated betting environment, and his prediction on when we'll see the first blockchain-based bet made in a regulated U.S. state. Jason was an awesome guest, and I hope you enjoy hearing his story as much as I did. But before we get started, I want to mention again that I'm thinking about what's next for this podcast, and I'm eager to get your feedback. If you're listening to this, please consider doing me a favor and taking two minutes to complete a short survey that will help shape the future of the pod. Go to www.bettingstartups.com, and you'll find a link to the survey at the top of the page. All right, here we are back on the Betting Startups podcast. And today I'm joined by Jason from Gamble.io. And Jason, we've been trying to set this one up for a little while now. I'm really excited to have you here. And I almost think it's a blessing in disguise that it took a little while to get this going because there's been so much happening, obviously, within the crypto and blockchain space, which is very relevant to your business. So I'm really excited to, to get into things today and unpack everything. But maybe just to start off with, how are you doing? And uh, what's what's the latest and greatest on your end? Thank you, brother. First and foremost, very happy to be here. We first originally talked, I want to say back in February at ICE in London, which if anybody doesn't know in the industry is the largest gaming conference and event in the world hosted every year. And um, I became a big fan of your show and, and definitely wanted to take part of it. We have a new product coming out from Gamble, gamble.io, G-A-M-B-L.io. And uh, we're very proud of it and very proud to talk about it. Awesome. Well, we're going to get into all of that in a few minutes here, Jason. But just to start off with, I'd love to take a couple of minutes and have you introduce yourself to folks listening. Maybe talk a bit about your background. And when you and I talked the other day, I was really intrigued by just your deep history within the betting industry. It goes back a number of years. So I'd like to start there and maybe have you sort of walk us through some of the major chapters in that business up until sort of the time you found crypto and blockchain. Yeah, so uh, I originally went to college for pre-law at Seton Hall University. I really had no ambition of uh, joining the betting industry when I was growing up. I wanted to be a lawyer. And uh, at that time, college was going a bit rough. And uh, it was in the segment in between, you know, graduating from your bachelor's degree, going into law school. And uh, my father was doing very well you know, with our family business, my uncle was an engineer for uh, Stone Trust Systems. They essentially revolutionized how marble and granite was set for skyscrapers in New York City. So essentially back in the day, you would anchor stone, you know, I'm sure plenty of people have seen the pictures and the old videos, guys hanging off the steel and, you know, they would set these big panels of stone on the side of the building by hand, and then the windows would clip in, et cetera. So um, what my uncle decided to do was to preset the stone on the steel girder 
and then bringing in via crane, which obviously fast-tracked the development of the building and it helped as far as time and safety and everything else. So fast forward a little bit and my father said, why can't we take that idea and do it for the inside of the building? So let's engineer steel clips that can handle the load. So he was doing very well with engineering that system. And I wanted to join the family business and make money because, you know, like most kids at 22, 23 years old, you want a nice car and fancy things and everything else. So my father advised me against it. He told me, don't drop out of school and, you know, follow my dream and be a lawyer and everything else. Obviously, I didn't listen. So uh, he tried to kind of buck me and he wouldn't hire me. So I had to get a job with my uncle and I came in there and I kind of had to make my bones in the industry. After about three, four years, he brought me on and I became a partner with his business and I absolutely hated it. About five, six years in, it, it was straight brutal. Waking up at 5.30 in the morning, you know, construction, uh, it just miserable. So uh, at that time, I was doing part-time work for what was called the rx.com it was owned by ken weitzner who was a runner for the famous mr billy walters out in las vegas so ken creates the rx and at the time it was the first ever sports betting community that was on a message board we're talking like right after news groups and usenet and obviously pre-social media days so i was giving out my picks for ufc and uh mma because i had a lot of friends that i grew up with that became professional fighters i trained muay thai and brazilian jiu-jitsu as a kid so it was kind of a natural evolution and growing up i always heard the stories of my grandfather being great with numbers and and being a street bookie in the new york metro area and so i had a little background but i wasn't that knowledgeable on the industry from the other side of the table so Ken told me that he would introduce me to his contacts and he would help me out in the industry. And that's where it all started through the RX. And just to timestamp that, Jason, when would that have been? And, and yeah, what did sort of like the betting landscape look like at that time? So I originally started with the RX in about 1999. That was part time. Then I want to say roughly somewhere around 2002 it. Ken sold the RX to uh, another group and he had a no compete clause for a year. And then he ended up opening EOG. Uh, it was Ion Gambling. It's now Ion Gaming. Sadly, Ken passed away and, and so did his wife since then. But that was like 2007 ish. It was kind of the wild, wild west back then. Early on in the RX days, you literally had sportsbook owners talking shop. You had clerks that worked at these sportsbooks in Costa Rica and Panama talking about where to get phone systems and telecommunication software. And it was really heavily industry focused. So you could not only meet a lot of connections, but you could learn a lot. And that's why I loved it because I met a lot of great people. And I learned a lot about an industry that I was passionate about, even though it was, you know, part time for me, it was somewhere for me to clear my head. I, I would get done with the construction industry 10 hours a day and the stress, stress of working for family. And I'd come home and I'd think about sports and games and this new great industry and all these wonderful people I was meeting. So for me, it was kind of a stress relief. And I think that's what you know, open my passion and my love for the industry. 
Awesome. And then if we sort of take the story a little bit further and maybe more recent years within betting, what's your trajectory been? And I guess what are some of the major stops along the way for you over the last 10 years, say? Yeah. So ultimately after that, I I ended up going down to uh, work for a company called BFC in Escazú, Costa Rica as an odds maker. I was there for a few years, ultimately moved to Las Vegas. I was doing the whole you know, professional trader, professional better deal. Uh, I was very successful at that. I gave picks out online for free for over 18 years. I had uh, one of the first betting Twitter accounts and when Twitter first started, like 2008. And then eventually along the way, uh, a company reached out to me called Wager, W-A-G-E-R-R. And they said that they were starting a crypto sports book which would be launching in 2017. And they were going to have what was called an ICO, an initial coin offering. So they asked if I would be an advisor. I came on in June and uh, in a month together, we raised $10.9 million. Uh, Bitcoin was at 3,000. So, you know, multiply that, you know, to the end of the run and and you're talking 60, $70 million. But, um, you know, the way that it was sold and, you know, when you're a startup, products kind of migrate from their initial concepts. And it was promised to me at the time that it was going to be a sports book for the industry, you know, with the power of the blockchain. And it ultimately became more of a crypto sports book for crypto people. Not saying there's anything wrong with that, but that wasn't my vision and my goal for my career. So ultimately, uh, I left there, uh, as did my whole team, and we came and we founded Gamble in uh, 2020. We took 200000 in seed capital, and uh, we're getting ready to finish up the product. Awesome. We'll get right back to Gamble in a second here, Jason, but just to sort of tie everything off in terms of the road here so far, you know, like you just talked about, I think my observation at least is that there's been a lot of what I'll call crypto native people that sort of see betting as an opportunity to deploy, you know, blockchain technology without necessarily understanding a lot of the nuance of of sports betting, right? And obviously there's a lot underneath the hood of everything that goes on within betting. And for you, you kind of took the opposite route, right? You've been a betting guy forever and then you found your way into crypto. I'm just sort of curious, like back in 2017 at that time, and you you know, sort of your introduction into the world of crypto, what were your initial impressions of it? And sort of what did you see at that time within the crypto and blockchain space that really sort of unlocked, I guess, your imagination around the possibilities from a betting perspective? So first and foremost, I think the the first thing that I, I've seen, obviously, was the power of the blockchain and, and what could be done as far as automation and, and everything there. I was a little surprised at how early stage things were. I mean, back in 2017, one of the main issues was how they were going to get odd speed data from outside onto the blockchain. That was like a, a big deal. And then, you know, obviously Chainlink came along and then the whole concept of oracles and bringing outside data on. But um, I remember that being a big fight. And uh, obviously these are all startups. And I, I think people kind of lose concept of that when they go into crypto. You know, people from an investment standpoint kind of look at it like, I don't know, like they're all going to be these multi-million dollar companies and they're going to get rich from it. And 
And while that is very true, you can, from an investment standpoint, they are startups and they are fighting an uphill battle like any other, you know, startup business from, you know, retail to the food industry and hospitality to, you know, sports books. It's, it's a fight to start a business and especially in our industry to battle billion dollar corporations and, uh, you know, take the fight to them. But uh, by having the blockchain and being able to automate many of the functions and reduce overhead costs and cut employees and not only that, but be able to, you know, feature that data live for operators and users and regulators, it significantly helps with the transparency of the industry, cuts down on fraud. I mean, there's a lot of amazing benefits that if utilized properly, blockchain, and I'm not saying crypto, we're saying blockchain can do for the betting industry. Right on. Appreciate that. I just think that's helpful context to what you guys are up to with Gamble. So let's take a bit of a deeper dive into Gamble now, Jason. And I think just to start off with, again, for people listening that might not be familiar, it'd be great if you could just start with a high concept overview of Gamble and just talk a bit about what is it, what's the value proposition, and just what are you guys up to right now with the product? So we got our, our seed funding, as I said, in 2020, right at the end. And uh, we focused that money on our system architecture and engineering and coming up with the concept and nailing down, you know, some of the uh, technical finalities there. We focused a lot of that money on, on our marketing documents and our white paper and our pitch deck as, as far as being, you know, a reputable company and our corp formation. Uh, as I said, I, there's two other founders along with me. Mario Fiorini is our CEO, and he's been in the industry about just as long as me, 20 years. He owns what's known as IGA Group in Malta, and they are an award-winning consultancy firm. They've won awards at Sigma for Consultancy of the Year. And, you know, Mario brings uh, not only 20 years of experience, but a full-fledged consultancy shop from having in-house attorneys to being able to handle any problem that your sports book would have. So, you know, in my eyes, there's no better CEO and founder than Mario, especially when in an industry like the betting industry, the hardest thing to get and maintain is a betting license. So the guy that gets you that license and keeps it in good standing for your business so you can operate, you know, I'm sorry, but in proper English, you're, you're going to kiss his ass. And that, that's a good thing uh, to have in a, in a CEO. We also have CTO, which is Sean, AKA Tippy, And he was with me at Wager. And he is a genius when it comes to numbers, statistics, and computer science, um, which is, was his major at university. And uh, as our CTO, I couldn't pick a better guy. Not only does he understand, you know, the betting side as far as, you know, how numbers work and algorithms and everything else, but he understands the complexities and the issues and what didn't work from his experience with myself at Wager. So you put two and two together between, you know, Mario's connections and our knowledge and experience in both betting industry and crypto. And, you know, we're really assembling an all-star team that I'm phenomenally proud of. Awesome. As far as what 
Gamble's vision is, right? Can you talk a bit about some of the, I guess, problems out there with the status quo that you're attempting to solve with Gamble? And just talk a bit about ultimately what is that sort of gap in the marketplace that you guys perceive exists? So the big issue that I think a lot of people who are not in the industry, we're, we're talking the mainstream public doesn't see is the problem around banning players and reducing their wager size. So essentially there's this scam. And if you've been playing in the industry for some time and you've come to win money, you've been either shown the door, your limits have been cut to $5 a bet, or you've ultimately been beat for your money as far as post-up is concerned. And that's a big problem. I mean, if you go and look on Twitter, uh, go find a guy at Spanky, and you'll see he's been thrown out of seven, eight, nine, ten different casinos. And we're talking reputable places, you know, licensed, regulated sportsbooks in New Jersey, Las Vegas, et cetera, just for winning. And I mean, you know, that's a scam artist, in my opinion. I, I hate to, you know, call a spade a spade, but at the end of the day, we can take their money, but we can't pay them. You know, I mean, that was the whole joke in, in the movie Casino, which was, uh, you know, Lefty Rosenthal, he, he never paid his winnings, but uh, when it came time to collect his money, he was there. And I mean, that's essentially what these books are doing you know, and then using billions of dollars in marketing efforts to bury the problems and, you know, all the negative publicity that they're getting from players. And let's be real. I mean, you know, put yourself in the player's shoes. Okay. You got a family, you got wife, kids, you got a job, you got to worry about, you lose a couple thousand dollars. Now you're not going to go all the way to Costa Rica, or you're not going to go to Panama or whatever. By the time you fly there to knock on the door of the people and say, you stole my money, you already spent the two grand you lost. So that's the first thing. Now, the second thing, maybe you go online and you start a big stink and you say, oh, these people stole my money and they're con artists and frauds and whatever. But after a couple of weeks, a month, life goes on. You know, I mean, I'm sure you know how busy we are as far as, you know, life's offerings and work and family and, you know, so it dies out. and. Sportsbooks and casinos know this. And then as far as their marketing efforts are concerned and the, their big budgets, I'm sure you know in the U.S., a lot of the marketing is, is written off as far as uh, a tax exemption. So they can shove that stuff down everybody's throat and really drown out the bad press. And, you know, so we feel that you don't need to operate like that to have a successful sportsbook. You know, it's all about volume. And if you can... Cut some of your overhead costs, not have, you know, 200 employees, try to automate some of the processes. And that's another thing that people don't realize, you know, that even in this day and age, 2022, there's a lot of stuff on the sportsbook and casino side that you would think would be automated, but it's really a guy sitting there doing checks and balances. So, you know, even on the, the payment processor side, as an operator, you're getting hit for a 10 to an 11%, 12% in some cases fee for that payment processor to process your, your credit cards. And these people on the other side, your customers have to wait in some cases up to five days to get their money. 
You know, you didn't you didn't tell them that they could wait five days to pay you, right? And they could play for five days for free. But now you're telling them to get their own hard-earned money back. They got to wait five days. Now these are all the things that gamble fixes, and why we think it, it's such a powerful thing. Not only do we reduce overhead, not only do we reduce costs for the operator, but we have what's called the betting explorer. So if you're familiar with crypto and blockchain, there's something out there called the block explorer, and it you know. Well, it's a database and it essentially shows all the transactions and the times and the amounts and et cetera, right? So as far as Gamble's proprietary software, we have created what's called a betting explorer. So you go in and let's say there's a football game between the Giants and the Cowboys. Now it'll tell me that there was, you know, 173 wagers on the Giants and there was 248 wagers on the Cowboys. It'll tell me the exact time each wager was placed. It'll tell me the amount, the date and everything, and it'll strip it of any identifying information on the player. So now, as I'm sure you're aware, there's products out there that tells you the percentage of, you know, the bets for different sports books, but it never tells you the exact bet. It doesn't tell you the amount of the bet. It just tells you the percentage on each side. And people go out there and spend 29, 49, 99 a month for this information. But it doesn't really tell you much because if I have, let's say, 10,000 bets for $10 and I have 10,000 bets for $1,000 on the other side, you know, on the lower percentage side, well, I'd rather have the bigger bets. But you don't know that when just looking at percentages. So this feature we offer for free to our customers and we feel that it, it will be a very powerful tool, not only for users, but also for transparency from the operators on their network and also from a regulator standpoint. I mean, we're talking, you know, government officials can go on at any time, very similar to the Italian market and see every bet that was placed, the time, the amount, et cetera, which, I mean, there's, there's no way you can pull any shenanigans or, or shady business practices when essentially every bit of your business is public for the eye to see. Just, I guess, thinking a little bit about the product, like you just talked about, some of these features are enabled by the blockchain. And then similarly, you also talked about, you know, some of the automation that's possible, which will give you operational efficiencies and cost savings and all of these wonderful things. Obviously, though, sort of the elephant in the room, I guess, is the fact that blockchain-based betting isn't something that we really have explored yet in the regulated U.S. market specifically. Obviously, it's a big world and other markets do have it. But from a U.S. perspective, how are you guys thinking about your go-to-market strategy and specifically on that regulatory journey? What's your strategy for ultimately advocating for you know, blockchain technologies within a betting environment? So uh, a big thing with us on the regulatory side was not to buck the issue. If you remember early days of Bitcoin and everything tied with Silk Road and Dark Web, you know, it really got a bad name. And due to that, you know, a lot of Bitcoin users kind of adopted the whole anti-government, anarchist stance, libertarian stance, whatever way you want to phrase it. And they really pushed the anti-government narrative. And I, I don't think you can have a successful product in that manner. To win the game, you have to play the game, right? Even like the cool kid in school, you know, sitting there with his leather jacket and shades, he still actually went to school, right? The, it, it, the cool kid in school wasn't the dropout. 
So the, the, the big thing for us was to kind of follow a similar approach to UFC. So for those who may not be familiar and, you know, living in Las Vegas and UFC being headquartered in Las Vegas and obviously coming from a martial arts background, I'm very knowledgeable on how the UFC started and have a lot of connections there. So in the early days, UFC was actually started by the Gracie family, and it was a way to showcase Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And that's why you've seen, you know, small guys, little Brazilians like Vice Gracie fighting these, you know, gigantic, big wrestling guys and taking them to the ground and tapping them out. It was a showcase to show the martial art of Brazilian jiu-jitsu and bring it to America, essentially, so they can make money through their schools. Well, what ended up kind of happening was that the different media players in the United States kind of shaped it as, uh, you know, fight to the death in the cage. And it really got a bad name and it was outlawed in some states. So they were having a lot of problems on the regulatory side, the Gracie family, and they kind of felt that it, it took them as far as it could with their schools and was just becoming a money pit. So essentially they sold it and came in and bought it was the Fertitta brothers who owned Stations Casino and who were a very prominent name in Las Vegas. And they brought on Dana White and Joe Rogan and, and many of the familiar people that we've come to know and love over the years for UFC. But what many people don't know is that they brought in a guy named Mark Ratner and he actually uh, went into the UFC Hall of Fame uh, about a year ago. So, I mean, that shows how valuable he was to the organization. And Mark Ratner was originally from the Athletic Commission in Las Vegas. So he knew how it operated from a government side. So he went and he got ahead of the, you know, problem. And he went to these different regulating offices and sat down and talked business and said, you know, what can we do to essentially meet in the middle so that we have a legitimate sport, a legitimate business? And um, so you're happy and get your tax dollars. And, and so we're happy at the end of the day. What, what concessions can we make? So at Gamble, we decided to essentially do the same thing. And we went out and got Carl Brincat Peplo, who was the head of regulatory for the MGA, the Multi-Gaming Authority. For those who don't know, the Multi-Gaming Authority, as far as jurisdictional size, is the largest gaming authority in Europe. So... Um, Carl's going to come in and get ahead of that issue right before the product is launched. So he's been working in the background for over a year now, as far as the framework is concerned and how we're going to approach the issue. And right before the product comes out, he's going to go and start talking to a lot of these uh, regulatory bodies and get ahead of the issues. Because in a lot of our preliminary conversations, they're totally clueless on how blockchain works and how crypto functions and the fact that, you know, crypto is treated as an asset in many countries and it's not treated as a currency. So there's a lot of gray area there. And we want to get ahead of all those issues before, you know, we get into some regulatory red tape. We don't feel that that's fair to our employees, our officers or even our investors. So it, it's very important for us to get ahead of the issue, educate these regulatory bodies, and take care of the problem before the problem actually comes. No, it make, makes a lot of sense, Jason. Um, if you had a crystal ball, when do you predict we'll see the first bet placed on the blockchain in a regulated US state? Mm, that's a tough question. 
I'd say about five years from now. I, I think that's a solid guess. And, and the reason why is we went through the ICO craze in 2017 and you had a lot of, you know, fake come into the market. Then you came into 2021, 2022, and you had the NFT craze and you've seen a lot of these celebrities come forward with products and Hollywood kind of adopt NFTs. And now I believe that we're, you know, going back into a bear market and it's, it's time to build once again. And I believe once we get to the next big bull run, when crypto takes off and it will come for those worried, I mean, we've had Bitcoin and crypto died 88 times by now, but you know, it's, it's a market cycle. It's normal. Things go up and down. And, uh, I think the next big bull run and peak in the market is going to be about real world use cases. You know, things like how the blockchain and crypto benefits small businesses and enterprises. I mean, you know, we've seen a little bit of it with play to earn video games, but I'm, I'm more focusing on big corporations who run supply chains and you know, more mainstream like banking and trading houses and sports books and, you know, things that need a lot of data. You know, people talk about the betting industry and, and how does it fit with blockchain or digital ledger technology, DLT. I mean, if we go back to the early days, right, and you, you really know your betting history, go to UNLV and, and do a little research on the history of gaming there, you'll see they were using ledgers, right, back in the late 1800s. And now this is just the progression of technology. This is a digital ledger. So uh, as far as the fit is concerned, I, I don't think you can find a better fit for an industry. And there's no reason to think that, you know, even though we're kind of behind as an industry from a technological perspective, there's no reason to think that we won't see this technology break ground within at least five years time, at least somebody trying to use it if it's not us. Awesome. Let's talk very quickly as well, just about the current state of the general crypto industry. You know, as you just alluded to, we are in a, what's already challenging bear market, but Further exacerbating the bear market is the fact that we're seeing quite a bit of contagion spreading through the industry. And obviously, most recently, uh, you know, fairly high profile case with FTX um, and a lot of uh, fallout on the back of that, you know, uh, exchanges like BlockFi recently filing for bankruptcy and a lot of other big names within that industry falling right now. So there's a lot of very negative sentiment as far as, you know, all of these, you know, sort of black swan events. Curious just to sort of get your take on all that, Jason. And as you guys are there building in crypto right now and, and keeping your heads down and sort of waiting for the next bull run, how are you thinking about all of this sort of current drama unfolding um, sort of against the backdrop of what, what you guys are working on? Well, I think it's kind of normal for any industry that's, you know, pretty new, at least created within the last 10 to 15 years to see some type of growing pain. And I think a lot of these problems that you're seeing is due to lack of regulatory insight by our federal government. You know, the U.S. kind of wanted to take a back seat. They didn't really want to stick their nose into it and give clear oversight to the rest of their public. And I, I think that caused a lot of these problems because it, it allowed a lot of the bad actors in there. It allowed people to take advantage and kind of gain the, gain the system. And, um, 
if they put their foot down, essentially, and I don't mean in a bad way, I don't mean overreaching, but I mean, if they, you know, put clear regulatory oversight out there, clear guidelines for corporations to follow, and they work with the technology companies to not affect innovation, because that's the main thing, right? We don't want to hurt innovation. I mean, you go back through history and most of the big innovation was during times of crisis, right? Uh, wars, pandemic, et cetera. Um, and we're in that perfect time to see a lot of technology come out. So the number one thing you, you don't want to do is harm that technological innovation. However, there needs to be clear guidelines from a government as far as how a business can and can operate. Without clear guidelines, that's when you start to see the scam artists and the bad actors. And, and that's anywhere. I mean, any yeah. industry where there's a lot of money, cash money, flying around, you'll see con artists and thieves. And I mean, it's in the betting industry. Let, yeah. Let's go back a, a, a week ago. I mean, look at the uh, the problem with, with DraftKings and the, the payment providers. They went on there and they were able to get a VIP list of poker players. And all they needed was their name, their address, uh, I believe four items. And they were able to, to get their money out of there. And that was just a simple, simple mistake that should have been caught. And I mean, especially being manual, you would think that you would do these checks and balances, but, um, you know, they messed up and you're starting to see a lot of these issues come to play due to things that can be solved by, by simple steps of, you know, either due diligence or checks and balances. And, you know, I think we need to be careful in industries where there's a lot of money floating around. And I, I don't think people learn from history, you know, as a society, I think the world needs to learn from the past and kind of change how we operate. And, you know, it seems as a society, we make many of the same mistakes over and over and over again. So I don't know if it's so much of a crypto problem as, as it's more of a societal problem, you know? Yeah, can't help but uh, completely agree with you on that one. <laughs> um, one thing I wanted to ask you before we get out of here today is to sort of paint the picture of what the next year looks like for Gamble. And we have 2023 obviously about to kick off in a couple of weeks here. And I guess for people that are sort of following the Gamble story, what can they expect to see and hear out of the team over the year ahead? So we just had our private sale over this summer. As I said, we had the seed funding at the end of 2020. We had a small private sale for friends and family and people in the know. And um, so we're taking that little bit of money. And it was an uphill struggle, you know, to be honest, with everything going on in crypto and things going on around the world, the supply chain crisis, the pandemic, the war in Ukraine. I mean, we can go down the list, uh, you know, the worldwide financial markets crashing, crypto crashing. It was a tough time, but uh, we did pretty well considering and we were able to, to get enough money to at least start development uh, as far as building our MVP was concerned and getting a product out there. And that, that was our key goal and our key focus. So over the last few months since the sale concluded, We've been having a lot of meetings with um, developers and development companies as far as going forward and, and finishing the product. We kind of did it a little 
a little ass backwards, if you will, in the sense that we built the UI UX first. So the user interface and user experience, um, we kind of learned from our mistake working for the, the past project that I talked about. And it was very important to us to build the interface first so that it was familiar for betters. It was familiar for operators going into the back end. It was clean. It was simple. It was easy to use. That was a big, big issue for us that we felt in crypto and blockchain. There was, you know, too many hoops and hurdles to get people in and that that turns a lot of people off. So if you're going to build a product for the mainstream, you got to remove a lot of those hurdles and make it as easy to use as possible. So uh, we did that. And now we're focused on actually getting the blockchain up and running and building out the product as far as the technicalities and the functions and, and getting an actual bet out there on the blockchain. So for summer of this year coming up, we hope to get a product out there, a working product, where the bet is placed and processed on the blockchain and um, obviously do our QA and testing. So by the middle of August and college football season coming within a couple of weeks, everybody's excited and ready. And so that's our goal to, to be able to have something that you know, people can touch and feel and use and understand that way we're not selling ourselves for pennies on the dollar. It's no secret that it takes a lot of money in this industry as far as marketing and everything else is concerned. And we're going to need some help as far as investment is concerned. But we felt that if we, you know, went with a lot of heavy hitters and, and tried to bring in money pre-product, that it wasn't 2017 anymore. You know, it's, it's 2022 and people have learned from mistakes and get beat and everything else that uh, we'd be selling ourselves short by not having a product that, you know, these potential investors can touch and feel and use and everything else. So that's a big goal for us in the, in the coming months. And I'm pretty confident that we'll hit that goal and have our product out. And we're pushing very hard for that. Right on. Well, exciting times, Jason. I have a standard closing question that I ask all my guests. I know you've listened to the pod before, so you probably know it, but I will quickly repeat it. And it's this, if you weren't working in betting, if you weren't doing anything in blockchain or crypto, or you weren't working in any of your previous careers in a parallel universe, what would you be doing instead? So I, I think it would be, if it wasn't being a lawyer, right? If I, if I didn't take that trajectory and, and decide to not go to law school, I, it would essentially have been something with numbers, you know, either uh, an engineer or, you know, even working at a university as a professor for statistics or, or something in that realm. Uh, it's very calming for me. I know it's not a real, uh, you know, exciting answer, like, like a Hollywood actor or, uh, you know, uh, a musician or something in that. But um, I think that's where life would have taken me. Well, for the record, there's no wrong answers on this podcast. So we accept any and all. Um, we'll take it. For people listening that want to learn more about the Gamble Project and or get in touch with yourself, Jason, where can you point them towards to do all of that? So the best place for everybody is to go to gamble, G-A-M-B-L dot I-O or link, L-I-N-K-S dot gamble, G-A-M-B-L dot I-O. 
We also have numerous social media accounts. You can find the communities on Telegram, on Discord. We have a wonderful Twitter account, Facebook. You can see articles on Medium. I mean, there's we're we're quite visible. There's a nice crunch base for people, you know, potential investors. We have quite a bit of press out there from numerous publications talking about our our sales and our our launch and so um it, it's not very hard to find us. Just make sure to type in gambl.io into Google and you'll see all the great resources. Right on. Well, I'll be sure to pop those links into the show notes for this episode. But for now, Jason, we'll leave it there today. It's been awesome to have you on, hear about your background, your journey, your story, and everything you and the team are up to with Gamble. Looking forward to continuing to follow the story. Thank you, brother. I had a blast. Hey, this is Jesse here, and you're about to hear my chat with Jason from Gamble.io, 